Well, good morning again. Welcome. How was your Thanksgiving? Tryptophan has worn off. Turkey, whatever. Isn't it tryptophan? Is that what that is? Yeah. We're all drugged. Okay, well, my Thanksgiving was really good. Except that the Seahawks didn't win. That was a bummer. Thumbs up, thumbs down. You don't care. To be expected. Yeah, we have a lot of I don't cares. So there's that. Uh, thumbs down. I see you. That's good. All right, I have announcements. Let me focus on those. Um, we are going to have our final prayer room, not this Monday, but the following Monday. And if you haven't come out to one of those, we just really encourage you to do it. Um, there's a prayer guide that walks you through. You, you probably have noticed our Father in Heaven, all these things that are going on here. Um, and so there are moments that you can kind of sit and reflect. And we've had people that spent their whole night on your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. I mean, you don't have to do that, but you can. Um, Jason has been at every one of them because he's like super. No, he's just here on site to, to help and, um, and pray for people if they come in and need prayer. But anyway, he's like, no, it's cool every time. So take it from him. Um, and we, so we just want you to come and make this space just a sacred place. And um, we've had people that bring their kids in. Kids are invited as long as they can keep that sacred environment and um, can handle the maturity that some of that requires. Obviously, we don't have all the chairs in here. And so really young kids would feel like, cool, it's a gym. I can run around. So anyway, please come to that Monday, um, December 4th, and that will be from 7 to 9 p.m. Come for any space of time that makes sense for you within that two-hour window. And then we are done with Thanksgiving. The pumpkins are put away, am I right? And the Christmas trees are up in your Homer Simpson blow-up um, Christmas <laughs> yard. You have one of those, Jane? <laughs> Our neighbors did, and I was like, I don't like looking at Homer Simpson every morning. It's just odd. They moved, so God works in mysterious ways. Um, but we do have Christmas here at Brookview, and we're going to do two different things. Number one, we'll have our, um, this was a COVID innovation that we just love. It's a chance to gather in our parking lot around fire pits we have s'mores and a hot cocoa bar, and there's a photo booth and activities for kids. Um, so come, invite your friends and your family, and then at the end of that, we come inside here for um, a carol sing together. And then on Sunday, December 24th, that is Christmas Eve, from 7.30 to 8.30, a one-hour service. Um, we are going to come in here and, by candlelight, um, sing Christmas carols together. So I hope that you'll be able to join us for one or both of those things. And if you have questions, you can go ahead and mark your um, Connect card that is on your seat. And if you have any questions about anything, you want to connect with us in any way, that Connect card on your seat is a great way to do that. And for those of you that are watching us online, welcome to you. I hope your Thanksgiving was awesome as well. And we would love for you to fill out your online Connect card by going to brookviewchurch.com. That is all that I have, and I will hand it off to you. Hey, we kind of match.
this very Thanksgiving vibe. Yes, he does. Amen. see Alex this morning leading worship yeah bless that guy he's a new father is he in here he's out there all right well we love you out there even but uh Heidi anybody know how old how was how old is she five weeks how old is she a month a month you seem so put together man god bless you good to have you back up here uh, it's been a few, been a few weeks. Um, one of the surprising things that I've discovered um, as a dad is how, and many of you have, have encountered this, how unique each kid is. Like if you're a parent of multiple kids, you know what I mean. Like from day one, you could just sort of see that each little human being was different. They had their own personality, their own temperament. They had their own way of interacting with the world. For Jen and I, our two oldest came 15 months apart. Neither of them were planned. Both came as a surprise. And then seven years later, we were blessed with another surprise. And I want to address something that some of you might be thinking. Isn't it insensitive to tell the, your children that they were a surprise? Thank you, my friend. No, it is not. It is truth, my friends. And they have known this their whole lives, and as far as I can tell, so they're not just hearing it this morning. You're like, wow, what a reveal. <laughs> Jen and I are pretty big on authenticity, and this is, this is real stuff. Um, so Kate came when I was in graduate school, and um, Jen stopped working and, and stayed home. So I was a full-time student, and Jen was a stay-at-home mom. How did we live indoors? Uh, you guys, it was God's great provision, which came mostly through huge student loans. Um, and it doesn't, you know, like, it didn't take a genius to figure out that this was not ideal timing. We, we wanted kids. We wanted multiple kids just down the road a little ways. So no need to hide the truth. Our kids, I think, feel very loved and wanted at this point. So a second thing that some of you might be wondering is, man, you might be thinking this, man, you guys are terrible at birth control. <laughs> like, do you know how to read directions? And I just want to say, that's completely a fair point. Uh, Jen and I have never been asked to put on a seminar for birth control. Um, but I, I will say this, we were actually quite diligent. At times, we were using more than one method. And sometimes, stuff happens. I mean, as students in sex ed are taught, only what is 100% abstinence and we just didn't we didn't love that plan <laughs> so all of our kids are like the one percent or, or or whatever and you go well how, what is it how did that happen three times 
Let's go, baby. Or maybe better yet, maybe a better way to think about this is that God just blessed us with three little miracles. So it was, it was not my plan, but uh, it feels like God was up to something. And what I discovered quickly when we had the two oldest was just the diversity. Like you could see their little personalities taking shape immediately. Kate was fiercely independent. Like most, you know, most babies like to be swaddled and held tight. And if they're having a hard time, they re- that's really comforting to them. Not Kate. She wanted to be held. So you couldn't just set her down. She wanted to be held, but she wanted to be way far away from your body. So she wanted to be like out here. So imagine two o'clock in the morning trying to comfort a baby. You guys, my gosh, Jan's arms look like DK Metcalf. And Kate just wanted to be kind of independent. And as soon as she could talk, like her favorite phrase was, for Caitlin, her favorite phrase was, KK do it. So step back and let me do this myself. She wanted to be involved in every project around the house. And she would step right in front of you and box you out and take over. So at like 24 months, like she wanted, she decided she wanted to empty the dishwasher. She, she'd seen it. She knew how to do this. And the silverware was within reach. And so Jen was like, okay. Um, thankfully, Jen checked for sharp objects in there. But Kate would go over, and she would grab one piece at a time, and then she knew which drawer it went in. It was way over her head. She didn't realize that they were, like, all separated in there and all that. So she just threw them in the drawer. And then she would just be so pleased with herself, so she'd just be like, and she'd go, go back over, go back over, get another piece, and do the whole thing with the whole the clap thing all over again. She's just like, boom, man, like, I'm slaying it. Did you see that? She's like, bam. So... When, Cam, when Cameron was born, um, that poor kid, he got smothered. Um, like, she would sit on his lap. Um, she would get right into his face, kissing him, and she'd put his hat on and then take it off and put it on and then take it off, and she'd do the same thing with his binky, <laughs> right? She's, like, you know, taking the binky out, and then she's, like, oh, you're sad, and put it back in, and oh, 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 oh. You know, we're trying to keep him happy, and it was just, like... Come on. And she, the other thing was she didn't really have the dexterity at like 18 months old. So she's like, and he's kind of sitting in the chair going, right? So she's like grabbing his head and just working that thing in there, kind of like putting her thumb in his eyeball. It was, it was unbelievable. So you could see right away with all of that going on that he had a completely different personality. He was totally chill. Like, she would get in his space, she'd take away his binky, put it in, take it out, she'd take his blanket, take it away, then wrap him up with it, then smother him in it, then pull it away, then decide to do something else with it, and he'd just look at her, and he was all just, like, patient and chill, and he'd smile at her. Kate would never have tolerated (laughs) what she did to her brother. Um, And so you could see that he was just wired different from her, and he was just so, like, go with the flow, content no matter what. You could feed him, not feed him. He was happy either way. Jen would be like, hey, you remember to give him his bottle, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> no, I thought you did. And so we realized it's been like three hours overdue. And you look over and there's Cam and he's like, it's just like, what? what? Some of you are like, how many visits did you guys get from CPS? <laughs> look, life was crazy, man. And, and the kids survived. But Cam was, he was so different, just so chill not independent like Kate, but fiercely loyal. 
So Cam was, you could see from day one, he was relational in his core. Like he loved community. He, as, even as a little tiny kid, he would do chores as long as he had a partner doing the chores with him. He wanted to do it with community, wanted to do it with togetherness, he didn't want to do projects by himself. I don't ever remember Cameron ever once in his life saying, I do it myself. Cam was more of a, come, come work together with me on this. So Kate wanted independence, right? Kate, Cam wanted community, and they were just so different. Kate also, Kate has this, like, she, from immediately, she had this dynamic, like, justice meter working all the time. So she would look around the world and see something that was off, and the, the, the meter would start just like going like this, and the alarm would go off, and she would kind of freak out, and she would have to tell you about it, or she would have to do something about it, even if that meant getting somebody in trouble. In fact, you guys, you guys know the Dora the Explorer theme song? Yeah, Dora, Dora, Dora. Yeah, so we, we renamed that song a little bit. We tweaked it a little bit to Caitlin, 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 the informer. Because she just cared about justice, man. She wanted rightness and fairness. She wanted every rules to be followed. So if something looked off, she'd either fix it or she'd tell somebody immediately. And it was, you guys, it was mostly really, really good. Sometimes it was annoying. Uh, but we could see early on that Cam was, Cam was much less concerned with rightness. He was far more concerned with relationship. Just like fiercely loyal. Cam, Cam would not tattle on someone to save the world. And then Brooklyn came, by surprise. <laughs> and she was her own little unique soul, like just kind of sweet and innocent and creative. And I would still describe her that way, absolutely. Like she's far from naive, but there is a sweetness to her. And she's creative and artistic and musical. And like even before she could talk, you could, you could see all of this. She was just born with her own unique temperament. And she was so different from the other two. You know, it's like how did this third one come from her mother and I. And you guys, when, when you look at people, when you just kind of step back and look at people, you see the creative genius of God. Like he loves diversity. So many different personalities and temperaments, different strengths and gifts and styles. And when we see each other right, we value those differences. Um, when Brickview first started in 2003, we were not a diverse group. We wanted to be, but we were not. I was 29, Jen was 26, and the vast majority of the church was younger than us. So with just a few exceptions, everybody, was, we were all like 20-somethings. And we had trouble drawing or retaining anybody older. We wanted like more generational diversity, but it took time. It took quite a bit of time. Eloise, thank you for coming and completely changing our average age. God bless you. You know, these days, I, I love how diverse we're becoming. Like, generationally, there's more diversity. There's also more ethnic diversity. There's a lot more, a lot more there, there are a lot of different colors sort of represented in this room. We have political diversity. We have blue people. We have red people. We have people that are, like, in between. We have, like, purple people, right? We have massive diversity here in people's religious backgrounds. We have former atheists. We have former like new age people. We have former legalists. We have Catholics, former Catholics. We have church your whole life people. We have brand new to church people. 
There's also a growing diversity making up, um, there's like there's a growing diversity making up the Brookview family. And I, you guys, I am really grateful for what God is doing among us. Like a generational, ethnic, political, church background, and more. And I'll tell you what, I think that we really are better for it in a big way. I think diversity is good for communities, but it's especially good for church communities. Because when we love Jesus and serve God, but we do it in diverse ways, and when we celebrate those differences, everybody wins. So the thing is, it's not easy to do that. We all kind of want to be around people that are just like us. You know the number one question most people ask when they walk into a, a, a brand new church and they're trying to decide if this might be the church for them? Number one question is, how many people here are like me? I want to find a place where the vast majority of people in this place are just like me, right? And there's a temptation in churches then to also try to be something that we're not. Like we look around, we figure out what's most valued, and we try to become that, whatever that is. So rather than loving God the way that we're individually wired, we try to become something that we're not. Or we make other people, we try to make other people into something that they're not. And, and so some people feel inferior and other people feel superior. And this has been happening in church communities since they were first formed. Like in the first century, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And, and this was happening in a big way. Diversity was not celebrated. Only certain gifts were recognized and valued and pursued by people. And love was just being pushed aside in all kinds of ways. So Paul wrote to the church that he had started years earlier after he had moved on, and he reminded them about the beauty of diversity and the necessity of diversity in the church, making sure that everybody is empowered to use their unique gifts and be who they're created to be. And he writes this in chapter 12. He says, Just as, uh, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its, parts, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Like, diversity is a really, really good thing. We can, when we can celebrate differences, when we don't just, like, set them aside or ignore them, when we value one another, when we value one another because of our differences, when we blend our various gifts, backgrounds, experiences into, like, a mosaic that bears the image of Christ, that's when we become strongest together. Amen? Amen. So today, I want to talk about a certain kind of diversity that often goes unrecognized. Um, we know about generational diversity. We know about ethnic diversity. We know that different people have diff different spiritual gifts. Today, I want us to think about something called spiritual temperaments. 
So in the same way that each of, of my kids have very different temperaments, in the same way that different things come naturally to each of them, there are all kinds of different spiritual temperaments. So about 25 years ago, um, I encountered a book that really opened my eyes to this. Um, it's called Sacred Pathways. It's written by Gary Thomas. And the author, Gary Thomas, is from Bellingham. So Jen and I have met him and spent a little bit of time with him. But his book, when, when this idea came out, when he wrote, it went worldwide. It just blew up. People were like, I have felt that for a long time. I just didn't have language for it. And it was huge. So he identified something about apprenticeship to Jesus. He identified that in the Bible and down through church, through the history of the church, people seem inclined to connect to God in various ways. And he's an author, he's a scholar, and a historian. And in his studies, he identified nine spiritual temperaments, okay, or what he calls sacred pathways to God. And here's what he writes. He says, as I read the classics of the Christian faith and shared my journey with others, I discovered various ways people find intimacy with God by studying church history or theology, by singing or reading hymns, by dancing, by walking in the woods. Each practice awakened different people to a new sense of spiritual vitality, and something was touched in them that had never been touched before. This discovery put me on the track of searching out various spiritual temperaments as a way to explain how we each love God differently. My search was most influenced by biblical figures who lived out these temperaments on the pages of Scripture, and second, by historical movements within the Christian church. So after a, a ton of research, he identifies nine temperaments or nine sacred pathways, nine distinct but very legitimate ways of connecting with God. And he encourages the reader to explore, to explore them. Because if we don't, we limit ourselves or others in the pursuit of intimacy with God. So he writes, excited about meaningful to us approaches to the Christian life, we sometimes assume that if others do not experience the same thing, something must be wrong with their faith. Please don't be intimidated by others' expectations. God wants to know the real you, not a caricature of what somebody else wants you to be. He created you with a certain personality and a certain spiritual temperament. God wants your worship according to the way he made you, and that may differ somewhat from what the worship of the person who brought you to Christ or the person who leads your Bible study or, the, or your church. So, like, don't answer this out loud. This is rhetorical. But have you ever felt like your approach to loving God within a certain community has been undervalued. Like, I certainly have. It, in certain contexts, the way that I'm wired, the way that I connect to God best, it has not been the way of most of the people around me. And it's left me feeling like, ooh, I'm really doing this wrong. It's left me feeling alone and on the outside and not valued. And my guess is that I am not the only one that has ever felt that. And so throughout the fall, we've, we've been thinking about prayer, and we've been thinking about connecting to God, and we've focused on some basic structure that can be a little bit helpful. And, and so we've talked about a daily rhythm of prayer, because I've discovered that a little bit of structure is actually really, really helpful. And I will stand by that. Okay, for me, and I think for many people, it's been really, really helpful. A little bit of structure is, is helpful. But today, what I want us to think about, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want us to think about our own unique spiritual temperaments. Because we're all wired to experience, we're not all wired to experience God in identical ways. 
So discovering how you're wired and then living into that is really helpful. And so is learning greater depth from other people. Like just because someone else has a different way of doing it doesn't mean we, we don't engage in it. We can learn a lot from each other. They may be wired differently, but we can learn so much from one another. This is why you, no one is supposed to follow Jesus alone at home with podcasts. Like we come together as a body and we have relationships and we are, we are interconnected. So what I want to do is, is walk you through Gary Thomas's nine sacred pathways, these nine spiritual temperaments that are seen in the Bible, seen in church history. Um, and how, here's how we're going to do this. On your chair this morning, you, there's a little flyer, and I want you to grab that. It is an assessment tool. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe to you each pathway or temperament, starting with the first one on the page. And I want you to do a little self-evaluation as we go along. So what I want you to do is evaluate to what degree you sense that each one of these things is you. Like from 1 to 10. 10 being it's totally you. 1 being it's not you at all. And 5, 6, somewhere you're in the middle. Now, you guys, I think this is going to be cool and eye-opening. Are you ready? Yeah, okay, here's the first temperament. Naturalists, which doesn't mean nakedness. It means loving God outdoors. Loving God outdoors. So naturalists feel the presence of God and are awakened by nature. Right, Tony? Yes. They connect to God most fully on a mountain or by a river or in a forest. Naturalists are brought to worship by a sunset or a crystal clear lake, they see God and will draw near to him by, by, by encountering wildlife or looking at a peaceful lake or hearing waves on a beach a lot more than reading books or, or being in church services. God bless you. Yeah. And the parts of the, the Bible that often resonate most with them are the Psalms, right, or the parables of Jesus that use nature imagery. Naturalists encounter God by surrounding themselves with creation. So prayer comes more alive for them when they're in nature. So, okay, you, you look at your little pamphlet there and rate how much you fit this particular temperament. One being, this is absolutely not me, to 10 being like, this fits me to a T. Where are you at? Like, I come alive spiritually and feel close to God in nature. It's like, Jason, I love your sermons, but being outside is better, Okay. Just circle where you think you might be on this scale. Okay, next. Next comes the, the sensates. So loving God with the senses. Sensates love to engage God with all of their five senses. So in worship, they want sights and sounds and smells and tastes. They want as much of that stuff as they can get. Sensates, they love art. They love architecture. Architecture in a church building is, is super worshipful for them. And, and music Music just opens their hearts. They feel closest to God when their senses are awakened. They want to light candles. They want to smell incense. They want to sing. They want to be surrounded by a chorus of voices. And so while too many tactile experiences might be a little bit distracting for other people spiritually, sensates are stirred to worship that deeply involves the senses. And while their preferred like worship style may differ one from another, Music and art and architecture, all of it matters to them. The sermon may be great, 
and they like it, but there's really something about worship music. Their heart is deeply connected to their senses. Okay, from one to 10, how much would you, would, would you think you're wired as a sensate? And again, one being it doesn't describe you at all, 10 being this is exactly you. Next, okay, we have the traditionalists. And this is loving God through ritual and symbol. Traditionalists are often ignited by like historic dimensions of the faith. So for, for some traditionalists, taking communion is, a, is, is the high point of, of coming to church. Like it's a really, it's especially moving for them. They like a little bit more liturgy in a church service if possible. Elements of the service that can tie them to the past in some way. Singing traditional hymns are especially stirring, like Amazing Grace and How Great Thou Art and Come Thou Fount and, and the, the Ancients. Anything that connects them back to previous generations, like reciting the Lord's Prayer together or other formal prayers or at Easter recitations like He is risen, He is risen indeed. Some of you are just, that's just getting your pulse race, you know. They feel connected to God by, by being connected to familiar traditions. They love to sing songs, pray prayers, recite things that have been sung, prayed, and recited for generations. It isn't dull. It isn't methodical to them. It moves them because they feel like they're connecting to something. Okay, from 1 to 10, how much, how much are you a traditionalist? How much of this is a pathway for you? Next one, number four, ascetics which is loving God in solitude and simplicity. So ascetics love to connect to God alone in prayer and stillness. Ascetics get too distracted by too much stimulation. They worship God best in quiet and simplicity. Ascetics live a fundamentally internal existence. They're introspective and love to examine their own thoughts like distraction-free. They need time and environments with no people, no loud music, not a lot of stuff going on. Too much stuff directed at their senses feels distracting. They need designated, like, they need stuff directed, um, they need designated time with no music, right, no people, no talking, just space to think, to reflect, and just to like listen in the quiet. So they connect to God best in stillness. Okay, one to ten. Some of you are like, that is absolutely not me. Some of you, it may very well be you. How much of you? Where are you at on that? Number five, activists. Loving God through confrontation. So activists are deeply concerned with justice and how people are treated. They're quick to notice things that are wrong in the world, and they often feel compelled to take action. They see God as a God of justice. He's a God of many things, but they hone in on like he is a God of justice. And they connect to God by righting wrongs in the world. So while others may be blind to what's wrong or not care or simply stay quiet, activists feel an obligation to engage, to name problems and do something. You guys, these people are a gift in our world. Are they not? They can make you feel uncomfortable, but they are a gift. Because done right, they confront with the love of Christ. They speak with humility and grace. And they're unwilling to just ignore the truth. These people change the world. They feel close to God when they share his heart for defending the innocent. 
They stand up to bullies. They rally others to resist oppression. And sometimes they struggle to understand how can other people sit idly by while this is happening? Okay, one to ten. How much of an activist are you? To what degree do you connect to God by standing up for what's right? Number six, caregivers. Caregivers are about loving God by loving others. Caregivers feel closest to God when they're serving people. They tend to have high levels of empathy for people that are in pain. They are quick to notice the lonely, the hurting, those that are on the outside. And when others might be like worn down by caregiving, they're just getting started. They're just getting warmed up. These folks seem to come alive and energized. While activists notice problems and injustice, caregivers see hurting people. And they don't necessarily challenge the structures that hurt people. They rush directly to the hurting people and bring immediate help. They love to include lonely people, help needy people, to be there for friends, family, coworkers that are struggling. They feel most united to God when they give care, when they can serve somebody that's in need. Okay, one to ten. To what degree are you a caregiver? Number seven, enthusiasts. Loving God through mystery and yes. celebration, baby. Yes, yes Glenda. <laughs> these people, these people are amazing. These people are like God's cheerleaders. Okay, they're always on the lookout for his awesomeness. And when they see it, they can't help but stop and celebrate it, right? If their hearts aren't, aren't moved by seeing God's activity for a period of time, it can feel to them like not much is happening. They don't just want to know or understand concepts. They want to experience them. They want to feel them. They want to see them. They want to be moved. They want to let go and experience God in the Spirit. They're hungry for the transcendent tangible experiences of the divine. They want a faith that feels exciting, is filled with awe. They want the Holy Spirit to let them feel things, to let them encounter things, experience things. They love to say stuff like, wow, look what God did. Isn't God awesome? They're forever on the lookout for God's supernatural activity, ways he's moving in them or moving around them, and they cannot wait to see it and celebrate it. They're inspired by how mysteriously God moves. Just like, wow. Okay, to what degree is this you? One to ten. To what degree are you an enthusiast? Two more to go. Number eight. Contemplatives. Loving God through adoration. So for contemplatives, the deepest experience of God is not doing. It's just being. It's, it's any activity, or more often, lack of activity, that enables them to experience God's love for them. They come alive when, when they still enough to remember, I'm, I'm God's child. I'm his son or his daughter, and he loves me more deeply than I can fathom, and I adore him. Maybe the best way to communicate this temperament is more by example. So, in the Bible, you have two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they had very different temperaments. Martha was taking care of, of all the work in the kitchen, right? Jesus is in the other room with the disciples. And Mary 
is sitting at her sister, sitting at the feet of Jesus, just adoring him, just being with him, just receiving his teaching, just being in his presence and learning and feeling his love and adoring him in return. And Martha got upset. So upset that she confronted. Jesus, tell my sister to get in the kitchen and help me. But he refused. Instead, Jesus commended Mary, right? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Contemplatives want to sit at the feet of Jesus in adoration. Okay, another example would be in Mark 14. A woman comes in and she pours an entire alabaster jar of perfume on Jesus' head in love. Someone should write a song about that and we should sing it in church. <laughs> Mark tells us that those that were watching complained. What the heck? Right? That could have been sold and used to help the poor. And here's the thing. Activists tend to be really frustrated by contemplatives. <laughs> contemplatives prioritize loving engagement with Jesus over other things. Instead of activism or confrontation or caring for others, they come most alive simply being with Jesus, receiving his love and returning it. Okay, one to ten. How much of a pathway is this for you? To what degree might you be a contemplative? If it's taking you a long time to figure it out. (laughs) Okay, last one, number nine. Intellectuals, loving God with the mind. So intellectuals come most alive in God when their mind is engaged. They love learning new things, tearing apart concepts. They want to know how the faith works. They want to comprehend it. To them, faith is to be understood as much as it's to be experienced. They feel closest to God when they discover something new about him. They love to listen to sermons or podcasts or read books about the faith, anything that will stimulate and grow their mind toward God. These people are sometimes slow to come to faith, like they need to understand everything first, right? But once they're in, they're usually like rock solid because their faith isn't based on emotions and feelings. Sometimes they become teachers because they have a capacity to be able to explain the faith. These people will end up at pastors, at churches, like Brookview. They are exceedingly valuable in the kingdom. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that that they are some of God's most favorite people. (laughs) Amen. Thanks, Glenda. (laughs) Enthusiastic about that. I like it. All right. How many of you, fill this one out. How many of you are high in this temperament? One to ten. Where are you at on it? To what degree is one of your primary pathways intellectual? So this is the last one. Now, you've heard all nine and done kind of a preliminary score for each. And here's, here's what I want us to do. I want you to take a, a minute and look back over all nine and circle three pathways that you sense are especially strong for you. So look back over all nine and just pick what might be three of, of the stronger ones for you. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, And if you have a few that are like tied, then just choose. Which one do you think you're more of? 
Pick a minute, circle them. It doesn't have to be perfect. Don't agonize too much over the three that you pick. Just circle three that seem strong and go with it. Be decisive. This should be fun and not anxiety producing. Okay, I will shut up and let you think about it for about 60 seconds and the contemplatives will appreciate the silence. All right, you guys, I want to do something really unorthodox right now. I want us to kind of celebrate each other in a tangible way. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name each one of these pathways. We'll walk through them one by one. And if you're willing, and I hope you're willing, um, when I get to one of your top three, when I name one of your top three, would you be, if you're willing, please just stand up. Um, and the rest of us, you guys, are going to cheer for you. <laughs> because you being you, it like really matters. And so like whichever three you are, it's awesome. Okay, so I hope you're willing to stand and just let us cheer for you. The enthusiasts will probably cheer the loudest. <laughs> God bless the enthusiasts. You guys are like awesome. So here we go. Okay, naturalists, loving God outdoors. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We're going to change church to be an outdoors. There's a plant in the corner. <laughs> that doesn't help me know God. All right, sensates, loving God with the senses. Yes, let's go. All right, traditionalists, loving God through ritual and symbol. Hey. We don't do a lot of that, so I was like, are there going to be any that go to Brookview? We're doing more. We're doing a little bit more. Um, aesthetics, loving God in solitude and simplicity. Nice. We'll, we'll clap real quiet for you guys. I don't want to unsettle you guys at all. All right, activists, loving God through confrontation. Yes! Stand proudly, stand boldly. Two ladies in my family bouncing right up. <laughs> I'm outnumbered. Cam, I need you. <laughs> All right, number six, caregivers, loving God by loving others. Wow. That is awesome. Can you not feel that in our church, by the way? It is. Like, that's a big one, and it's, I, it's very enjoyable for me when I'm in need. <laughs> uh, by, the, by the way... That's me too. Um, number seven, 
Let's go, enthusiasts. Yes, yes, yes. Amen, praise the Lord. That also is me. By the way, Christy, I knew it. I, how many of you thought of Christy when I described that? Oh my gosh, and Glenda, come on. All right, uh, contemplatives, loving God through adoration, contemplatives. Very, very cool. And lastly, intellectuals, loving God with the mind. Yes, Siri. David, I knew I would see you stand on that. I love that. I'm calling you out. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Yeah, you. All right, you guys, so we kind of did that, like, what do you think? And I just want to point out that on the bottom of the flyer is a QR code. Um, and, and that's for a survey on the spiritual pathways. Um, and I, we're putting it on the screen right now for those of you, anybody that's on YouTube, because you can just use your phone and you can go, go to that as well. But it is an online survey that, that can help you sort this out even more. It kind of walks you through and you do more of a formal survey on it. And you can fill it out and discover kind of your score for each pathway. And um, I would really encourage you to try that. Um, fill it out this week and check it out. Um, and by the way, if you're in one of my online groups, we are going to be doing that activity together. I mean, I think it's going to be really fun and um, a cool thing to talk through. Because I'm curious to hear more about each of your spiritual temperaments and how that's kind of played out for you as you have followed Jesus over the years. To close, I just want to share some quick, very simple thoughts on all this. Um, first, when it comes to your unique style of relating to God, if you try to be someone you aren't, you will always feel a little bit inadequate. It's easy to look at followers of Jesus in your life group or your ID group or the person that led you to Christ or a mentor that you've had and assume that you are supposed to connect to God just like they do. Right? And of course, if you're, if you're wired quite different from them, then you really will not flourish by trying to do it the way that they do it. Now, you can still be challenged by them and learn from them. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But you can't, you, you can't ever really be them. Um, and you're not supposed to, right? God has wired you to be you. And so there are so many different ways to connect to him, so many ways. So you have to do what most helps you. Um, now, you value them and you appreciate them and you celebrate them and you learn and you grow from them, but the way you connect to God most fully might actually look quite different. And that doesn't mean you should feel inferior because God made you who you are. So you have to find ways to lean into that and to meet God in it. Okay, second thought on all this. If you look down on people who don't primarily relate to God in your way, you become a spiritually superior jerk. <laughs> so, if you're an activist and you evaluate everybody by their level of activism, like if you measure everyone else's devotion to God and their spiritual maturity by how engaged they are in the causes that fire you up, how they right the wrongs of the world like you, how, how much action they take in the world, you, you might actually be blind to, to really beautiful things in them. 
They, they might be extraordinary at caregiving or uber intellectual or whatever. So it is so easy to take our strengths and measure others by them. But when we do, what happens is we don't value diversity. We squelch it. And it cuts us off from community and the rest of the body of Christ. And in the end, we just sort of become self-righteous jerks. And by the way, it isn't just the activists. Uh, That was just an example. The first thing that came to mind. But it can be any of the temperaments. Like if ascetics judge spiritual maturity in others only by how they happen to worship in solitude, the length of time or the intensity of it, or intellectuals judge only by how much people know about God, how much they know the Bible or how, how well they know theology or whatever, or if enthusiasts by how much other people are fired up by God, like they, they only ever uh, judge people by how emotional and, and, and excited about God they are. If we judge each other in these ways, we fail to see the beauty in one another. Also, we can unintentionally make our Christian community like one-dimensional. So that leads me to one last thought. We all need all of these pathways to some degree. So discovering and learning how you're wired by God does not give you a pass. We all need to find ways to worship God in each of these pathways. Your wiring may determine which ones are more primary for you, but you can't just ignore the ones that come less naturally. So my top three are intellectual, enthusiast, and caregiver. And that's great, right? And I should lean into those. But not by just like then ignoring all the others. For instance, I I can't say, well, I'm never going to confront anyone or anything because I'm not an activist. I'm an intellectual. Or I'm never going to spend time in the quiet with God because I'm a caregiver, not an ascetic. Like, I'm not primarily a traditionalist, but you guys, there are many times when I have been deeply touched by, by old hymns or some historical element of the faith. And I'm learning to connect with God in the silence and in nature. You guys, more ways to connect with God means more of God in your life. So the point of discovering our spiritual temperaments isn't to limit our experiences of God to only the, uh, the, like the arena of our strengths. We, we can learn a ton from each other if we're open to seeking and discovering. And these days, I'm learning all kinds of stuff. Like I, I, the, the way that we do the prayer room, that is not my forte, baby. I've come three times. I'm starting to get used to it. And it's been really, really meaningful for me. So it's good to stretch ourselves and to do some things that are a little bit different. You guys, Jen and I are so stinking different. Um, We're so different in our spiritual temperaments. She is an activist, for sure. Like, she sees problems and and she acts. It was hilarious when our kids were little because there would be a misbehavior of some kind, and I wouldn't even be aware that it had happened, and she would have already dealt with it. I was like, sweet. (laughs) I'm more of an intellectual, and I, and I want to move slow, and I want to understand. And she's really helped me grow in the arena of activism. I've become a, a lot more that way, and I feel God stirring in me as I do. It's been really good. And I've helped her grow in the realm of intellectualism. Like, her primary pathway will never be mine, and, and mine won't be hers. But man, you guys, over 26 years 
of walking with Jesus side by side, we, we really have sharpened each other. And it's been awesome. Jesus once said to love God with all you are, right? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And that will look different for you. That will look different for you from anyone else on earth. And that's part of what God loves so much about you. Um, I want to end this thing where I started it. My three surprises from God. You guys, they are all so different from each other. And I love it. I love the diversity. I, I love that my relationship with each of the three of them is so different. Like Kate, you have been an activist since the day you were born. And it's beautiful. Now, there's a lot more that I love about you as well. But you are like a courageous woman who loves God through justice. You're also a crier. And so I have to kind of, I'm trying to look at you, but it's hard to. <laughs> and I want to tell you, I'm so impressed by you. I'm so impressed. And these days, I really am enjoying talking to you as you process all of the challenges in your classroom. Because you're thinking all the time about the kids that have it rough. And you find ways to create equity for kids that really need someone, somebody to care about them, somebody to stand up for them. And I, I wish all of my teachers cared about me like you care about those kids. Um, I wish someone would have fought for me the way that you fight for them. And what's awesome about this is this has been you your whole life. And it's beautiful. You are beautiful. Cameron, in Haiti. Dude, your relational capacity is off the charts. It's amazing. I mean, the, the way that you come alive by loving deeply, it's, it's very special. Edward and Rachel and Seance and Dave in Haiti with you are so lucky to have you. And so are Mom and Kate and Brooke and I. So lucky. And hearing, hearing Brooklyn talk about your trip with her this past summer to go see the Lumineers and how sweet you were to her, how much you just entered into the whole thing with her. And you do the same thing with me. Like, you speak my language when you're with me. You know how to do it reading the Bible and talking with me about it. Just sharing that, you know. It's the highlight of my week. And I just want to say, dude, you're beautiful. You are beautiful to me. Always have been. And Brooke, you guys, she's serving in kids' church today. I hope she watches this. <laughs> and I want to say to you, Brookie, you've always been a person with the big feels. And I love feeling them with you. I love rocking out in the car. I love the Lumineers, Taylor Swift, U2, ACDC, Macklemore. <laughs> I love listening to the worship songs that we both like together. I like getting goosebumps together. I love watching movies with you, especially like the epic ones. I love that you tear up almost as much as me during the sad parts. <laughs> Brooke, I love feeling all the feels with you, and I have your whole life. 
you are beautiful to me. So beautiful to me. You guys, God is extremely creative. He loves diversity. Like he dreamed you up. He dreamed you up and you are what he created you to be. There's nobody else in the world like you to him. There's nobody. You are, you are beautiful to him. And his relationship with you is unique. And so I just want to implore you and encourage you, learn to lean into him in ways that are you. Father in heaven, I just think about the reality that you you love us so deeply and you love us all so uniquely and that you've created us with different temperaments and ways that we see the world and interact with the world and all of those things that you've wired into us that have come to us from birth are they're good and they're right and they're they're what you want and we can learn to mature and we need to learn to mature and we can learn to live into those things and even some of the things that don't come as naturally to us and you're there cheering for us and you're excited about it but your relationship with me is is special and unique i think about the the prayer room nights and it just kind of starts off with with thinking about what it is that you might love about me, which I don't spend a lot of time doing and making a list of things that you might, that if you were talking to someone's things, you might say you admire about me or you appreciate about me. What a cool thing. God, I just pray for each one of us as we think about who we are and what it looks like to walk with you. I just pray that you would help each of us realize there is a place at your table, at your dinner table for every single one of your children. We all matter to you. We're all special to you. And we can all learn to walk with you in ways that make sense for who you've created us to be. So help us to do it, help us to grow in it, and help us to encounter you more and more and more. Amen.